Hi, I'm David Sanborn, and this is As We Speak. I continue my conversation with Pat Metheny about his new record, Dreambox, his creative process, and so much more. There's one kind of major element of music that is impossible to quantify, and I'm talking not I mean, obviously the issue of soul and consciousness and spirit and all that, that's, that's way off in the impossible to quantify area. But there is a tangible aspect of music that is also impossible to quantify, and that's the issue of melody. And to me, it's like that aspect of things, you can't, you can't even break it down, really. It's just something that, that, has to have a certain it's almost like it's not even the notes it's the glue between the notes that makes it add up to the feeling of what a melody is and of course ornette was the god the the giant of all time of that i mean he just couldn't not do that and to me there's a couple Mm -hmm. other people that are were like that wes montgomery was Mm -hmm. that lester young is that Mm -hmm. stan Getz. oh my gosh Gary Burton yes. is that. It's kind of confusing mm. with Gary because there's all these mallets flying around and all this stuff. But in terms mm. of the the continuity of melody playing, you know, that yeah. thing is just rare. It's really hard to get. And of course, you are that too, David. I mean, well, you know, that solo, like the thing you play on that Carly Simon, you you belong to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's one thing to be able to play like 97 choruses of stable mates and keep it going. It's a really other thing to be able to play a great eight bar solo. And to me, they should not be mutually exclusive. If you could do one, it seems like you should be able to do the other. Wes was like that. Just the way he played the melody was like, you know, would kill you. You know, Miles was like that. And to me, this all kind of breaks down to, you know, this unmentionable aspect of music. And there are plenty of people who play kind of melodically. But to me, that's not the same as somebody who can really generate melody. And, you know, for me, that was always something. Um, And, you know, it can be Schoenberg. It can be Stravinsky. It can be Bach. It can be... Cecil Taylor, all to me are examples of people who, you know, I'm not talking about melody like, you know, sing songy. I'm talking about what makes a melody do the thing that melodies do. And um, that to me has always been rare. And that has always been a mission for me to, to try to, even in the most dense kinds of settings, to be able to invoke that spirit of melody. Well, there's I, to me, there's a certain sense of inevitability when when somebody you know, like whether it's an improviser or or a composer, you know, it's it's unexpected, but then it's also inevitable. Well, yeah, of course they went that way. Yeah. It's like almost like making it look easy. Yeah, yeah, but you got to come up with that. You got to think. You, you just you just hit it right on the head there. It's yeah, that mix you just of- got. It's that mix of inevitability and surprise that yeah. that then has to reconcile itself in such a way that if that you just go, you don't even question it. It's like you just go, yeah, well, that's right. And um, 
you know, that's, that's, I'm not even sure that's something you can necessarily um, teach, aim for. Well, I don't know. I don't know about teaching. You can certainly point it out to people. I mean, I have spent a lot of time with musicians talking about that as a, as in my case, a major goal. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also know that there are times if I try for that, I'm not sure I can guarantee I'm going to get to it. Mm, um, yeah, it's it's sort of you just have to be aware of that as a destination. And you know, one one other thing for me is that I've always felt like you know there is no other standard other than like Bach and Miles and Train. And you know, to me, it's like there are very clear markers to aspire to. You know, and I mean, back to the thing of me not necessarily caring what anybody thinks. It's it's only that, you know, there aren't many people around who are thinking in those terms. They're thinking more like, well, how does this sound relative to the guy sitting next to me or the guy down the hall or the Mm. guy in L.A. or what so and so thinks or what? You know, to me, it's like, well, I mean, you know, the only thing that really matters is that they're once, you know, walked on the planet musicians who were really dealing with music with an understanding of it that is very clearly represented in the output of what they've done as musicians i mean you know herbie's that you know keith jarrett is that keith is that you know ron carter is that i mean there's a whole bunch of people you know that you can just say well that like that you know brad is that you know it's like i brad and i go yeah like that (laughs) yeah right so Sometimes your your path and your where things lead are not necessarily comfortable in, in, in the complete sense of the word. And I think that's not not only important that you follow it, but it's essential that you and, and sometimes it's letting go of stuff that, oh, I don't really want to, but you you gotta let it go. You know, and it doesn't it, it doesn't have anything to do with tune. Tunes that, you know, like I, I can never play that song again. It's not about that. Just that I can't, I can't play just like that anymore because I know this now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know I've heard countless musicians say, like Miles said, you know, they people would ask him, how come you don't do another record like blah, blah, blah. He said, I can't play that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just that answer is like, it's much more complex than what the words say. It's not, I can't play that. It's not, I don't, I'd love to, but I can't. It's no, that's then. It's like, I was doing that then, I'm doing this now. And that's what matters. And that's what, you know, if you, if you look at it through the wrong lens, that can be terrifying because it's not, you know, you're out there, (laughs) you know, you're out there doing it, but, you know, going back to what you said about yourself in, in junior high school is like, you don't care what other people think. And I know what you mean by that. It's not that you don't want to relate to people is that that can't be an arbiter of what it is that you play. You know, I mean, you, I assume, and I'm, I have this feeling now, it took me a long time to get there where I have to play what I play and I hope people like it, but 
I can't do anything about that. Mm. You know, I mean, do you think that that's in a, in a sense, a, 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 an accurate way of looking at things? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's an interesting thing also, you know, now with the benefit of, you know, hanging around for a long time and having a yeah. completely different perspective on things and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a key thing for me that is, you know, just uh, sometimes I wonder about, it's like when I first started making records, Bright Size Life, mm -hmm. I'd only been a musician for four or five years at that point. <laughs> you know, now it's like 50 plus years. Yeah. And I play like a hundred times better now than I did then in every way. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot more about a whole lot of things now that than I that I did then. And at the same time, the basic arguments of what kind of was laid out on Bright Size Life sort of still work for me. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I still can play pretty much every tune on that record mm -hmm. and have something to talk about within the framework of that. And, um, you know, to me, I, I, I've always felt like I've described it as like I've been kind of building this house across all these years. And mm -hmm. the, the, the core of the house is, the, is like bright size life. And really, mm -hmm. I've just kind of been adding on wings along the way. But mm -hmm. that's the fundamental thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time Bright Size Life came out, I remember the, getting the first royalty statement, and I think it was 600. And then I remember, and they back then, they you would do it country by country. And I remember thinking, um, you know, I saw on there that in Australia, it had sold one. And I thought, well, I should write, I should at least write the guy a letter or something and yeah. thank him, you know. But but where I'm going with that is then like 25 years later, it seemed like people started talking about Bright Size Life because at the time they did not. Um, you know, it was hmm. not it wasn't a big thing when it came out at all. And, um, you know, then, you know, I mean, a couple of years ago, this was one of the many late life shockers you know, Bright Size Life is in the Smithsonian in the, yeah, or the, you know, right. National Archives top, you know, 100 records of the 20th century or something like that. And I was like, wow, man, I, you know, that guy in Australia, he was on it, man. He was, yeah, <laughs> he was a sage. He right? knew it. But yeah. um, no, I, I guess my point is, my point is really, you don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. And and yeah. all you all you can do is do your thing and be honest and try to try to make uh, a, a a statement about how you feel and how you think and what you what you hope to achieve within the realm of music with as much mm. spirit and clarity and soul and all that mm. stuff as you can, and then after that, mm. you know whatever happens is what it's going to be. You know, I saw recently. Dave Binney out in L.A. I don't know if you follow Dave Binney much, but oh, this the, guy, the, the saxophone player, yeah, he's unbelievable, oh man. He's unbelievable. He is unbelievable. He's been unbelievable for a long time. Forever. He makes unbelievable records. Yeah, and I mean, he made a, a, a quintet record a couple of years ago with young L.A. guys because he lives out mm -hmm. there. And man, I mean, I don't know what anybody 
what else anybody would have to do. It's killing. And, you know, I don't know that the, you know, there was a big article about it in some newspaper or anything. I kind of don't think there probably was. But, you know, what I tell Dave Binney is, hey, don't worry about it, man, because I promise you, nobody else is going to ever be able to do that. You did it. And um, so, you know, that's kind of more the way I I think about stuff is you just got to do your thing and, and, um, you know, hope for the best. And also you have to accept if your thing is knocking down garbage cans down 20 flights of stairs and transcribing yeah. it for orchestra, your thing is going to probably have a somewhat uh, challenging place in today's culture. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, if that's what you hear, you should definitely do that. And pr- there is a way to transcribe trash cans going down 20 flights of stairs that could be really hip too. So <laughs> yeah. 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 And and you know, who knows? You know, it's history is is almost, you know, writes its own. Who's to say what what music is gonna last, what art is gonna last, you know, you know, and the stories, you know, it's almost like a cliche to say, well, you know, Van Gogh never sold a painting in his life, you know, he never, you know, he starved and, you know, boom, there he is you know, $250 million for a painting now. Not not that that's a measure of what, of the value of something, but the fact that Van, Van Gogh is revered now. And, and you know, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of other other people, Don Bias, you know, mm. the, the great tenor oh, player absolutely. and all these great players, you know, that didn't get their due. And, and even to, to a certain extent, Lester Young, I mean, the, the 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 equation was a little bit different back then because d- jazz had currency in the culture much more than it does now because uh, it, it was popular music. But you know, the, who's to say what music is going to live on? What's what music? What's what's the value of it? And the value of it, it to me is just the honesty of the expression, and you know the fact that some being somebody's being to thine own self be true, you know, is being true to themselves in their, you know, I, you know, I choose to believe that honesty and authenticity and, and, you know, uh, to yourself and what you have to say, because what we're doing is we're, we're expressing our point of view about the world through our music and whether or not that's valid is not, not for us to decide you know we just do it and try to you know i i know that for me if i if i listen back to something that i've done and i say that's the truth that that i that i felt at that time this is like this is a perfect this really works just because all the elements the conversation that's the musical conversation that's going on in the tune you know the uh the it's just what I set out to do. And, you know, oftentimes that's the stuff that lasts. It's certainly for me, stuff that I go back to. But on another level, you don't ever know, you know, and and it just can't, we just, you just keep doing it. You just keep cracking it out because it feels good, number one. And it's just, it's enriching the way creating art is. Mm. You know, it's very personal. Mm. 
it's funny you you said the 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 to thine own self be true one too yeah um, which you know it's funny i i hadn't really thought about it but that was something my dad used to say a lot so mm. you know i probably got that you know kind of drilled into me early you know so yeah. um yeah like that and you also used a really interesting word that that's gonna it's gonna have some some i think significant um aspects to it coming up as we enter what is about to be a, a pretty wildly different uh, set of possibilities in terms of the tools that we have uh use the word authenticity and you know we meaning improvising musicians are weirdly incredibly well placed uh in terms of our skill set and our you know interests and our sort of aspirations to understand as we enter into the realm of AI, because those things are not going to be able to be, uh, what's the term they use, scraped off the, off the internet. Um, you know, like somebody could just generate random chord changes and, you know, we could stand up there and play different stuff every night you know and um and and also it wouldn't be just okay it would be something and um you know that puts us in kind of a unique spot in terms of the perspective that we can offer to that realm but also mm -hmm. what makes it i think have value or or hopefully to have value would be in fact mm -hmm. everything that it takes as an individual to get to the point of being able to express in a fluent kind of way as an improviser material that you are coming up with for the first time, whether it's on something, you know, or something you you're just being presented with um, spontaneously that has meaning to who you are. And, yeah. you know, man, it's hard to think of anything else quite like that as we go into this next zone here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm already thinking about that stuff. Like, um, you know, we're, we're going to have some really interesting new tools available to us soon. And um, I'm myself, I have no fear of any of that stuff. Part of it is because, you know, being an electric guitar player, my first musical act was plugging it in. So, you know, I've been dealing, <laughs> I've been dealing with chords and wires and tech as part of my instrument, the same way you deal with reeds, you know, it's, it's part it's part of my thing so you know i've always had a, a a kind of natural connection to the tech side of things mm -hmm. uh, but um yeah it's you know the 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 thing of somebody being that one person like you know you just say the word you say the name joe henderson we get yeah. this sound in our mind it's a whole world opens up you know you say the name um you know sunny rollins and you, you don't even have to, it's just the universe opens up of Sonny Rollins. That's something right. very unique. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, as difficult as it is to be a musician, and it's probably underreported how hard it is to aspire to the kinds of things we're talking about. I mean, it's an incredible way to live a life because... Yeah. We are dealing in something that's fundamentally true. And by that, I mean, you know, B 
B-flat was B-flat yesterday. It's going to be B-flat tomorrow. Yeah. It was B-flat a million years ago, if yeah. you could you know, get something to vibrate at that pitch. And it'll be mm. B-flat a million years from now. And yeah. you know, it's that when I say it's true, we are trading in a currency of something that is fundamentally true. And that's an unbelievably privileged way to exist. However, it's also really hard. It's really yeah. hard to truly understand what music is and how yeah. it is. And I mean, you know, for me, the only people I really can relate to on at the level we're talking about, which is why I'm glad I'm talking to you, is other musicians. And and this is this is yes. not to necessarily negate the value of anybody else, but it's only musicians that really know this, you know, the 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 challenge of understanding. And what we all have to go through 24 hours a day to not just maintain yeah. what we've got, but hopefully, you know, to keep adding on to, to, the, mm. to the house, you know, to the, to the yeah. fundamentals of it. It's, it's living in that space. It's, you know, it's like, you know, you're always practicing. I'm always practicing. I'm always putting together things in a certain way that has the, the framework of music now it, it you know it can be something as as obvious as a song structure or a, a series of melodies or vibrations you know because we're, we're on a you know molecular level we're just moving air mm. <laughs> you know so if you want to really break it down we're in the moving business mm. you know we're moving air at different speeds mm. that's and good we're you know we're I, I fell in love with just the vibration of the reed, yeah. just that sound that because you got this piece of wood that's vibrating at different speeds all yeah. the time. And it's like the voice. It's like the vocal cords. And there's endless ways to combine and recombine that. You know, the, I mean, you arrive at it in a, in a different way, but fundamentally it's the vibration of the string. All these players sound different. And it's not just the choice of notes. It's the sound that they make, the, the sonic aspect of it. And you have a sound. I love the concept of we're in the moving business. That's a new one for me. And yeah. I am plan on using that, David. Please do. <laughs> I will give you credit for it. But that's a oh, new way. That's a really good way to, to discuss it. And, you know, you being a wind instrument player and particularly a reed player, you have a immediacy in terms of the connection that you have with the creation of the things you're moving around that is the envy of all of us rhythm section players that all of us attempt to do our best to emulate. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, that's before we even get to the part about breathing and mm. your relationship sonically is an exact recreation of your relationship of breathing. And that's yes. something that is really important, I think, for non-wind instrument players, whether they're drummers, bass players, piano players, vibe players, to have a sense of. In my case, mm. I started as a trumpet player. Right. So... Even I, I don't even exactly 
notice it, but I kn it's been pointed out to me that before I play anything, I go, and then when I run out of breath, I stop. And, you know, I've, I've felt like that was good. It was good that I was, I was apparently a terrible trumpet player, according to everybody, but um, <laughs> I do have a sense of that. But there's one f little funny thing I'm going to put in here regarding where you, where you went with it all um, that to me was just fascinating to, to experience. So the great piano player, Paul Blay, Jocko and I started playing with Paul when we, neither one of us had really done much of anything on a so-called national level. This is years before he joined Weather Report or we did Bright Size Life or any of that. Paul hired us. And, you know, Paul was a, an interesting kind of eccentric guy. And one day at a rehearsal, he, he pulled me over. He said, what instrument do you play? And of course, I'm standing there with a the guitar on. And I'm like, <laughs> um, guitar? He's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, well, and then he pointed at the amp. He said, what about that? That's all I hear. And he had a point. So, uh, so I'm like, well, okay, I guess I play the amp then. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> and, then he, and then he went over to the amp and he pulled it away from the wall, unplugged it and pointed at the electrical socket. And he said, that's what you're playing, <laughs> which is actually true. <laughs> that me, Jim Hall, Wes, you know, Eric Clapton, all of us are really, I mean, in terms of what the audience is hearing, they're hearing us doing this stuff with these various accoutrements to create the vibration, as you talked about, to move it through the air, that is basically us manipulating that electrical, you know, plug. So that's far out. Now, okay, so that's a little parentheses thing. To back to my thing for a minute, what what is a thing though is that I also play a lot of acoustic guitar and I play the guitar synth. And you know, I've got had at least 10 wildly different electric guitar sounds over the years and there's baritone guitars and 12 strings and you know, all this different stuff. And at the same time, it's been pointed out, and I think it's probably true that most people, regardless of any of those things, can tell that it's me playing yes. in, in all of those different situations. And that, to me, really gets to what we're talking about here, which is the issue mm -hmm. of conception. Because to me, the way you hear stuff before you touch an instrument, your conception of sound, your conception of expression and of soul and all all the things that make us musicians kind of has to happen before you touch an instrument um or, yes. and usually it develops in parallel with your skills on an instrument but you know it kind of has gotten to the point for me and this is a weird thing to say but it's something that comes from 50 plus years now is it's starting to now kind of filter across into a whole other zone where, you know, I always thought it was about music, but now I'm starting to see, well, maybe music is just a symptom of something else, you know? And 
And that to me is like when it really starts to get interesting. And when I think about, you know, the, the, the models that, that all of us, I think, share of train and Bach and mm. the really highest level musicians that all of us, you know, in our dreams aspire to, to even get to be a fraction of that. It, it, they, they all eventually somehow transcend music itself into this other thing that is built on their conception of what it is to be a person, what it is to be a human in this sort of com complex ocean of possibilities and just, you know, all the pesky stuff of what happens when we die that we all have to deal with, yeah. all that stuff. We have to kind of make our way through this, this sort of swamp and forest of all these things with music sort of kind of as our, our best possible compass to help with all that. But, you know, you start to look past what all that is. And that's when it starts to get really interesting. And, um, mm. you know, I, I think about that too, is that how somebody conceives of what they want to sound like and, and mm. where does that, where's that in the chain, um, of of achievement i mean does that have it, it's kind of a uh you know chicken and egg kind of thing you know and and i know it's been that way for me too there have been times a new yeah. instrument has inspired me to get to something that maybe i hadn't thought of before but then there's mm -hmm. other times when it's like man i have to get some skills in this area to sort of represent what it is that i am hearing that i'm my conception of what mm -hmm what something might be. So it's all, it's all, uh, you know, fascinating. Again, part of what the amazing privilege of being a musician offers us. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's certainly, I, I know, I, I think the older that I get, uh, I'm, I'm more and more humbled mm -hmm. by how vast this is. Mm -hmm. And 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 try to separate the ego aspect of it. It's like, oh, I'll never get there. I'll never find. Yeah, but it's not about that. It's about the process of of this journey and and having the great gift of being able to represent that in sound, in music, as like this is my journey. You know, and and I'm I'm getting more to the place that you were in junior high school, where I don't care what other people think. You know, and I look to to me to me the models are you know cer certainly John Coltrane, even as great a musician as he was, the fact that his evolution through his music through his final you know records, which is all I have to to know about his journey. But they get, you know, from from Love Supreme on, you know, and the live albums, impressions and all that. And then Ascension. And and which was, I mean, incomprehensible to me when I first heard it. And I, I listened to it not long ago. And I thought, yeah, okay. And and Interstellar Space and all these records that nobody ever talks about, nobody ever thinks about. This was this man's journey. And it, it has, you know, it has validity. It has, you know, it's the truth. It's not just bullshit. You know, he's, 
this is this was his journey. And if nothing else, John Coltrane was a truth teller, yeah. you know, and, and the fact that he made these records that, you know, maybe in one sense, um, we're not ready to hear. But it was a, it was an honest reflection of his journey. And that to me is is something I hold up as, a, you know, standard, not not necessarily, OK, I'm going to go that way. But it was like being honest about it and just being, you know, this is, you know, in in one small way, it's like, you know, um, what's the relationship of sound and silence? You know, that's a meditation that I'll never get to the end of. When When is it, you know, when is it sound and when is it silence? And when do you, you know, that's, that's 10 years of graduate school right there. You oh. know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And it's like, and it's like you deal with it with a sense of joy. And it's like, oh my God, I have all of this stuff that I can explore. It's like FAO Schwartz all of a sudden. <laughs> You're in the middle of this, you know, candy land. And it's like, God, I'm so lucky to have this. Yeah. And I don't have to explain it to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? I make I can make records, I can do this, I can do that. But in the end, I'm gonna just keep doing this anyway. Well, you know, and the fact that I was able to make a living this long is like, wow, that's great too. I, I don't know exactly how to ask this question, but I know maybe a way into it would be, I know you've talked, about, I heard you talk about the idea of jamming uh, is kind of over because everybody has a, an iPhone. And every moment that you live on this planet as a person who's known or in, when you're ever in a public situation where you're playing, you're being recorded every moment. And that sense of privacy of just, you know, working things out seems certainly compromised, if not over. I mean, do you have a, <clears throat> are your feelings about that the same that they were? I, I think I heard this interview was from a few years ago. Yeah, I'm sorry to say that, you know, I mean, I was like a jam session guy. I do always, you know, whenever whenever we'd go around and play gigs, you know, and there was a jazz club, I would love to go sit in and play and hang with the cast. And, you know, it was yeah. always fun to do that. And then I can almost remember literally when it happened, um, you know, it was around the time that Brad and I did that record. So in the early 2000s where it just suddenly became impossible because every time you would do anything, people would either, I mean, at that point it wasn't even phones. It was everybody had like video cameras and stuff. And yeah, it, mm. it then it takes the fun away for, cause it's not a, it's not a, you know, a spontaneous intimate thing. It's a world premiere, you know, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, heaven forbid you miss the, you know, the third change on stable mates, you know, <laughs> mm, easy to do to be forever <laughs> and uh you know so so you know it's it's but it but again i mean that's just the way stuff has, yeah. has on um but you know talking about jam sessions though there there is a a related thing to what this album is uh that talking about the dream box album which is you know over kind of another area for me of interest of these last couple of years 
has been because I was such a beneficiary of, you know, older musicians hiring me and, and, uh, you know, giving me the opportunity to go on the road and play and stuff that I kind of decided, okay, now, you know, the, it's the right time for me to do the same thing. And I've been doing this side eye thing with, uh, younger musicians and, and now I'm on to the third version of it, which is in, I mean, we've, we just are kind of in the middle of a record that I am so excited about. Um, now it's Chris Fishman, who's, um, just an amazing all around musician. Um, and, uh, Joe Dyson, who is to me the after Antonio, I thought I was only going to get one dream drummer this time around. Turns out I get two because Joe is the next one. Um, but, um, so I've been playing with a lot of younger guys and the way the whole process begins is that I invite them up to my pad and we play tunes, just me and whoever duo. And it's been mostly drummers. And we are in this incredible era of good drummers at the moment. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I never experienced that before. It was always hard to find a drummer, let alone how to choose between five or six great guys. But I record all of these kind of jam sessions with these guys. And we're mostly playing like, you know, autumn leaves and Stella and stuff like that. And then, you know, finally, you know, I want to hear him play a couple of my tunes, but it's all just guitar and drums mostly. And I have in that same folder hours and hours of that. And, you know, weirdly, I had never really heard myself play much other than in the studio, which was, you know, its own kind mm -hmm. of trauma. And, you know, these, this is... <laughs> This is just kind of like what the dream box thing is. And it's sort of like, I really had no idea that that's what I sound like. And some of mm. it is like, you know, I wonder if anybody else would want to hear this. So maybe someday yeah. there'll be a bunch of uh, me and drummer duets coming out, you know, like, uh, you know, with all these uh, amazing drummers. I mean, I know you've had your, your oh uh, life filled with trying to find drummers too and oh i mean my god it, i don't know if you're having the same uh, you know cornucopia that i am right now of just one guy after the next who plays great and it's it's exciting i i've i've uh you know i had that for a while and now I, i'm kind of in a a lean period because everybody that i i you know that i enjoy playing with is working all the time yeah. on other stuff because I don't I don't go on the road as much as I used to so I can't I can't keep these guys working all the time and they do other stuff yeah. you know Emmett Cohen uh, Jeffrey Kieser uh, you know Ben Williams who you played with yeah you know um, these you know these great players and all, you know I find myself in a situation of not being able to find you know because I have to get I, I want to get together with the people. You know, I don't want to just call somebody cold and do it because you don't know. Yeah. And because they, it's all about the chemistry. Yeah. It's about, it's not about the name. It's like, oh, this guy is great. Well, okay. It's like the same, it's like putting together an all-star band. Well, you don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. Because it's, it's chemistry. Yeah. Man, I've taken up so much of your time. And oh, it's I'm, great I'm, talking, man. I I mean, I, it's really 
it's really, really a pleasure to talk about so many things. And I mean, I've, uh, you know, it, it, it's just great to talk to somebody who has that kind of open sense of, you know, like music being an open sky. That's the Sonny Rollins quote that I think we all live by. Now. Yeah, that, that's it. It just, it never ends. Thank God. This has been As We Speak, a podcast from WBGO Studios. This episode was produced by Trevor Smith. Billy Robinson is our executive producer. And the president and CEO of WBGO is Stephen A. Williams. I'm David Sanborn.